Some of you may have experienced a broken trust in your life. I hope that this message series will be both helpful and redemptive. And my prayer is that with God's help, Christians and our churches can embody a sustainable culture of trust, of trustworthiness, of trusting. In so doing, I pray that trust will be the keystone of healthy relationships with one another in the body of Christ and within our community. Following is our pathway through the months in the series. Next Sunday on the 11th, we're, we're going to ask, how do we build trust? On the 18th, we will ask, how do we rebuild trust? If you're like me, that's important. And then on the 25th, we will ask, how can we entrust our lives to Jesus Christ? Today is an introduction, as a foundation. We will look at trust as the keystone of healthy relationships. And as we get into the message, I'd like to read one of my favorite, perhaps your favorite, passages of Scripture found in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, from the New King James Version. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts, O God, be acceptable to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. After our daughter Isabella was born, Melanie and, and I, well, we had some time off. Melanie had 12 weeks of maternity leave from her job, and I had some paternity leave from the church where I was pastoring there at the time. And it came, well, the end of our leave had come, and it was time to take Isabella to the daycare that we had carefully selected. It was close to our home, came highly recommended, and we had done all of our research. And I'll never forget the day that we took her there for the very first time, even though we had done all the research. And given them all the instructions, Melanie with a spreadsheet of all of the things with uh, feedings and, and naps and schedules and all of that, uh, with we had to leave her and we had to go to work. With tears in our eyes, we had to entrust our daughter, the apple of our eye, with the ones who would care for her while we were working during the day. And we entrusted that they would do what they said they would do. With the kindergarten name tag tied with yarn around her neck and wearing a backpack that seemed fitting for a fifth grader, we put her on the school bus for the very first time to send her to kindergarten. And we watched the school bus go down the road on the way to school. And with tears in our eyes, we entrusted our daughter to the school system that they would do what they said they would do. 
And on August the 19th, we drove her to James Madison University. We spent the day setting up her dorm room. We had planned with her and made sure that everything was just so, and we stayed during the day as long as we could to help do what we could do. And with tears in our eyes, we gave her big hugs and kisses and entrusted her to the good people at James Madison University that they would do what they said they would do. Perhaps you can think of times in your life when you entrusted someone or something dear to your heart with a person, organization, institution, or even here at church, and with tears in your eyes, you prayed that they would do what they said they would do. You know, there's a vulnerability when we trust, isn't there? There's a risk involved. And we expect those whom we trust to do what they say they're going to do. We're trusting in their character. We're trusting in their integrity. And, you know, character and integrity, it is said that character and integrity are who we are and what we do when no one is looking. We pray that those whom we trust, well, that they will act in that way. This introductory message, it's helpful to have a definition of trust. There are lots of them. I went to the Forster Dictionary, Webster's New World, to find trust as a reliance or a resting of the mind. I like that. A resting of the mind on the integrity, veracity, justice, or friendship of another person. It goes on to say, the dictionary, to trust is to have a confidence in or a firm reliance upon the promises of a person or an organization. In the scripture we just read, trust in the Lord with all your heart. The word trust is from the Hebrew batach, and it means to be confident, to be sure, to be careless, meaning without a care in the world because we are trusting in the Lord so much. It means to hope. It also means not to have fear. And we find this in lots of passages of scripture. The root word of the the root of the word trust in, in our English word trust is the same as the root word for truth. So trusting and being true. Same word family. I like the definition of trust as given by an author by the name of Charles Feltman in his book, Thin Book of Trust. He says this trust is the choice to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person's action. If you're taking notes, once more, trust is the choice to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person's action. There's a vulnerability when we trust. Feldman states that there are four basic elements of trust. The first is sincerity. When someone is genuine 
someone's honest, when they act with the utmost of integrity, when they're genuinely sincere. Open hands, open part of trust is sincerity. There's also, he says, reliability. When someone has a competent track record and keeps their commitments. You know people who are reliable. You can count on them. So sincerity and reliability. The third, he says, is competence. When someone has the capacity, the skills, the knowledge and abilities needed to fulfill the promise that they are making. And then the fourth, he says, is care. When someone has our best interest in mind within the relationship or commitment being made, do they genuinely care about us? So a sincerity, a reliability, a competence, and a genuine care. And I would add compassion to that. Let's think about these in light of the people we interact with regularly. Recently, in preparing for today, I found a Gallup poll that records the most trusted professions in America. Sometimes you find this in like Parade Magazine or Reader's Digest. They do these kind of things um, and, and will report what Gallup has researched. Can you think of the most trusted profession in America? Anybody want to guess? Okay, we have engineering. Think, uh, that's great, David. Any, any others? Engin- uh, did somebody say teacher? You, okay, not quite. Who said nurse? Yes, Eva, nurse. How many nurses in the room? Raise your hand if you are a nurse or if you retired from a nursing. Nurses, 84% of those surveyed said that nurses are the most trusted profession. They trust nurses the most. In, mo- in, in most of these cases, there's a genuine sincerity, a reliability, a competence, and a care. Anybody want to guess at the very bottom of the barrel? Okay. I hear lots of, lots of hymns. Okay. I heard, oh. did I hear Congress? Yes. Congress is at the very Bottom of the survey, 9%. No, 8%, I'm sorry. Now, telemarketers were just above that. And I used to be an insurance adjuster. We used to be way down there. I think it gone up a little bit. That was before seminary. Car salesmen are down there too. Now, we all know respectable and godly people in Congress. We know people that do telemarketing and they're wonderful, and people who sell vehicles and so forth. But generally, this is the way the survey uh, comes back. So I'm not trying to um, criticize any particular profession, just sharing the results here. Do you know where pastors came in? If you were in the early service, you can't. Anybody? Right, Right in the middle. Right in the middle. A survey by LifeWay um, also echoes this. 37% of people have a high level of trust or clergy. That's not good. In 1985, it was 67%. So today, 
pastors get beat out by nurses, medical professionals, pharmacists, high school teachers, police officers, and accountants. There's work to be done among the clergy. Televangelistic scandals, moral failures, and the cases of abuse by many have caused the level of trust of, of even clergy to erode, and much must be done to restore. And I'm thankful to say that we take that seriously here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. We take it very seriously. We value your trust. It's a mutual thing. But there's work to be done. And we hope that as a church that we can help people in our community see Christians in their churches as trustworthy. Again, in this foundational message, uh, I thought it would be interesting to talk to a banker. You know, you see a lot of banks with the name trust in the name. And so I contacted a church member who's in banking, and he said in their corporate training, they talk about the importance of trust and customer confidence because they are responsible for people's life savings, college funds, retirement funds, pension funds, and on and on. And he said when we, we survey customers and then we do focus groups in our corporate training, and we, he says that trust is still the most required and revered quality that customers look for in their bank. And I imagine you would agree with him. I do too. He shared a similar survey to Gallup's, but with a twist. Now, listen to the nuance. A minute ago, I shared the survey of the most trusted professions in America. In their bank training, they asked this question. Which providers of service in your life are most irreplaceable? Not necessarily the most trusted, but the most irreplaceable. Would you like to guess what that is? Anybody shout out. Mechanics? Plumber? Oh, that absolutely. Hairdresser. Number one, your hairstylist. The person in your life that is most irreplaceable. I, I wouldn't have figured that. And he said number two is veterinarian. Number three, doctor. Number four, pastor. Hey, we, we went up a little bit. And number five, banker. But why the hairstylist? And he, in their training, why do we, why do we all get beat by the hairstylist? They know you. They listen to your needs, your likes and dislikes. They listen. They serve as advisors, therapists, and counselors. And finally, they are trusted by you and me. And I agree with that. I do. And uh, we can learn a lot from our hairstylist, folks. Right? So Christians, think about those things you value in your hairstylist and then model them in your and my life. And I imagine that would go a long way. I talked to another uh, member of our church. I was interested in the legal term trust, of why we establish trust and what that means. And so one of our members is an attorney who does that kind of law. 
And, and she said, in my practice, many people set up trusts for the benefit of young children or grandchildren. They want protection so that if something were to happen to one or both child's parents, the child gets the benefit of an inheritance, but not the burden, not the weight and the responsibility that comes along with managing all of that. And there's a trustee involved who looks out for the best interest of the child or the grandchild. Often, it's a special needs child, and the parents are making sure that everything will be taken care of. And we have trustees here at our church. And we look at our trustees to help us make good decisions with our resources. And they act legally on behalf of the church whenever there's a matter that needs to be dealt with in the commonwealth or in uh, the legal system or whatever regarding you know, insurance or financials and so those kinds of things. All of this is to say that trust is essential in order to be able to function in society. Trust is the key to healthy, thriving relationships whether they are marriages, friendships, in church, in our faith, in our work, or our family. Without trust, folks, we got nothing. Without trust, society becomes cynical, fearful, and angry. And there's a whole lot of distrust in our world today. A whole lot. And we can do something about that. That's the good news of the gospel was we worship a God who says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean out on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge me, and I'll direct your paths. I'll make your paths straight. There will not be a hindrance in following my paths. If we are trusting, then perhaps people will become more trusting of the God of the church and the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Earlier I said that trust is the keystone to all healthy relationships. In, and I shared this in my newsletter article last week in case you read it. It's just a little reinforcement. But in ancient construction, especially in Greco-Roman architecture, arches were very common. They were positioned atop pillars, bridges in our entrances to temples and uh, palaces. Typically, the framework was wooden. And then a stonemason would position large stones around the framework, uh, forming the arch. And then whenever the stones were in place, they would lower a final stone called the keystone in at the very top. And they would remove the wooden structure and the arch would stand on its own and would not fall. The keystone would hold the entire thing together. I shared this picture last week in my article and, and I have it for you today. This is a picture of an ancient architectural site in the city of Thyatira, which is one of the seven churches listed in the book of Revelation. And they're actually rebuilding an arch and will position it back where it originally was. And you can see the team is working around a framework of installing the large stones of the arch. They're doing this one ground level, but back then it would have been done up on top of the pillars. Finally, they lower the keystone in place, and you can see it lowered by a crane here, and then, of course, the framework would be removed. The next slide shows the double arches with the keystone almost in place in one of them and in place in the other. 
really didn't understand all of this, and I learned more about it uh, several weeks ago this summer after I shared a message from the book of Amos where I referenced the plumb line, which is a way that construction and engineers keep things level and straight and make sure walls are perfectly true. Uh, he came, one of our engineer members came up after me after the service. David Dean right there, raise your hand, David. Thank you for your help. And he pointed out Pastor Bob. He talked to me about Keystone, and then he said, did you know that we have two Keystones in our sanctuary? And I said, David, I never I didn't pay attention to that. If you'll look with me, right up above the chancel, behind the speaker system, you can see the Keystone. Now, it's not of stone, and it's not holding the arch together. It's symbolic of uh, early architecture. But there are two of them, and the other one is just above the choir in the baptism pool. We have two keystones that are a reminder to us of the most important part of the church, Jesus Christ, who is the keystone. That is not there by accident. And I commend those of you who work with the architectural design team that designed this sanctuary and constructed it, that that is not a mistake. So every time I come into the sanctuary now, I look up there and I see this keystone that reminds me of Jesus. Not only the cornerstone of our faith, but the keystone of our faith, without whom all we've got is a social club. But with Jesus, we are the body of Christ. We are the church. And David, thank you for pointing that out to me several weeks ago. Because without trust, y'all, without the keystone of trust in our relationships, we've got nothing. In chapter 3 of the book of Proverbs, either Solomon or those attributed to Solomon's uh, teaching is giving instruction on what it means to be a wise person. And the scripture has the feel of a parent teaching a child. I want to share the first few verses and then verses 5 and 6 once more. My son or my children, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. The word for us is to trust God first and foremost. It's the keystone of the whole chapter. The implication is that God is sincere, that God is reliable, that God is competent to meet our needs. He's able and that God deep cares deeply about our best interests. Our God is compassionate, as the psalmist says. We are wired to trust. We are wired to know and trust our creator. God wired us with the innate ability to build trusting relationships and to be in fellowship with one another. At the heart of trust is the ability to learn to trust, which begins in infancy as a baby trusts her mother as she nurses her. Our attachments in this understanding offer a secure base, a secure foundation. It is something we learn as infants. 
And when, you know, we leave the room, there's crying, there's separation anxiety. When we take our little one to the nursery and leave, they miss us. But we do the work of peekaboo and hide and seek to reinforce the presence and absence that we are going to be back a little bit. And over time, trust is learned and we are able to leave or even go to work when we've dropped them off at daycare or send them to kindergarten or to college and they know that we're there if, we, if they need anything. There's a trust. But before that, there was a presence, an absence, a presence, an absence, and presence. Over time, trust is learned. It is built. And often it has to be rebuilt, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks. But I wonder if this might be why Jesus Christ would often go away for periods of time to pray and meditate and leave his disciples where they were, and then that he would come back. Presence, absence, presence, absence, presence. Perhaps this is what Jesus was teaching when he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And then he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What a trust-building statement of Jesus that is dear to our hearts even to this day. Presence, absence. Presence, absence. Presence. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and trust that he is with you wherever you go.